We are in Romans chapter 6. And uh, last week, if you remember, I said Romans, didn't I? Romans, Exodus. <laughs> let me see. Let me see if I can get in the right book. I'm glad I saw Zach back there. I wouldn't even caught it. He was smiling. I'm going, oh, I did it again. <laughs> I was just testing you guys. Of course, you knew that, right? <laughs> Well, if we did Romans on Monday and Sundays, do you know that we could probably get through Romans in half the time? (laughs) But anyway, no, we're still in Exodus, but we're moving right along. We did chapter 5 last week, and this week we're going to attempt chapter 6 and going into chapter 7. Now, what do you think of that? (laughs) Now, how are we going to do that? Well, by the strength of the Lord. I didn't tell you that to celebrate the 4th of July on the next uh, Sunday, we always stay here the rest of the day. (laughs) Oh, I'll tell you. We have a great God. And, um, hey, that wouldn't be bad, would it? Be a good deal. I'll be together and just just, uh, go down there and cook for a while and eat. Stay around the Word, sing some more, right? You know, there are churches all across the world that do that. But um, anyway, um, in chapter 6, we're going to be dealing that with God assuring Moses after Moses now has uh, his doubts again. It just goes back and forth. There are times I have a feeling that things just don't seem to work out the way that we want it. Would we all identify with that? I think so. Because we live here in a fallen world and things don't go perfect and it's not like it goes perfect most of the time. A lot of the times it just doesn't go the way we'd like it. And we might even be in the will of God. You know, we might be in His Word. We might be led by His Spirit. and Hopefully we are. We're commanded to. But at the same time, it's not the way that we would like it. And sometimes His will seems to take forever. <laughs> And so we can identify with Moses all along through here. Things sometimes go from bad to worse, as we looked at that last week. We wonder, what in the world is God doing? I know He's doing His will, and it's great, but what is He doing? I don't get it. Uh, Then we might even start to doubt God. I mean, forbid that. But Moses got to that point, and um, he kind of forgot what God had said in the very first place. From the very outset, God had been promising him and telling things. And that's what God wants us to do. He leads us along. He gives us something to go by. And then he brings up a trial and all of a sudden we start doubting what God is, has said. And we might have even forgotten what he has said. That's the thing. Usually we forget. We might even complain and mope around and moan the way that things just seem to have turned out or the way they're going right now. But one thing for sure... God is not finished with us yet. He is still working His great work. And uh, so, if we have that in mind, you know, all throughout our lives, it helps us get through our our lives. But this is an all too familiar scene here uh, with Moses uh, as he went through the commands of the Lord and he had followed the commands of the Lord and still yet, it wasn't the way that he thought it was going to be. Pharaoh didn't go along with what Moses had commanded him to do. And Moses was now left in a quandary because the people were worse off than they were before. 
You know, it was bad enough, but then when Moses shows up, it gets impossible. Now their workload is incredible. I mean, it's like 24 hours a day, I mean, to the point that they have, they're just exhausted totally. And then the next thing they have to look forward to is the next day to go out and work and do the same thing. And the people are mad at Moses, and you can imagine what Pharaoh is thinking about Moses. Moses is just baffled by what God has done, and now he's asking, why has God sent uh, me anyway. Why is that? He's going to ask God that. What kind of God is Yahweh? What what kind of God is He? A good God? Uh, you know? Do you keep your promises, God? Moses is getting to that point. Moses had a lot to learn about God yet, and this is one of the first things. Just just trust me, Moses. I know that it doesn't look like it's the way it's supposed to be, but it is. God never breaks His promises. And he made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Isaac. He made a covenant with Jacob. That passed all the way on through, all the way to the time of Moses. God's promises are not going to be broken. His covenant will never be broken. God's character is at stake here. Moses has to know this. You know, This is all about who God is. He must remember that God said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Just, just remember that. Now, this just hadn't sunk in to the mind yet of Moses. He's confused. He's despondent about this, depressed about it, and the people have turned their backs on him. makes him look like an old fool that he thought he was going to look like in the first place when he first told God that he couldn't do this. Now, Pharaoh's pride is really increasing as he knocks the people down another notch. And this is where God comes in in a more obvious way and responds to Moses. And God says, now, Moses, look at what I'm going to do. I want you to watch this. I made a promise. I am going to keep it. Moses needs to hear this. We should have sang that song this morning, Blessed Assurance. Because God gives him assurance here in this section that we're dealing with. He needed to know. He needed to be reassured that God was giving those promises and He was going to come through with those. God knew what He was doing. He's ready to do something about it now in in the timing. And so we pick it up in um, chapter 6 of Exodus, starting at verse 1, and um, we'll read the first nine verses. This is the first section. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. With a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name Lord I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham. 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. The Lord brings to mind all what He has said. Does this sound familiar? Have we heard this before? Yeah, He's told Moses this. God doesn't rebuke Moses here. He gives him room now to remember what God has talked about. I don't, you know, Moses has been doubting, has been complaining, and God is going to give basically, you can outline these in two parts, I guess you could say two pieces of counsel here. One of them is the person of God, who he is. And then the second is what he's going to do. So it's his person and his work. So what he wants is Moses now to have his eyes on him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Well, when things get difficult, that's exactly where your eyes are supposed to be. When things are going really good, that's exactly where your eyes are supposed to be. Constantly on him. But how often do our eyes turn a little bit? But he wanted Moses to, to keep focusing. Not on the circumstances. I know the circumstances look bad, Moses. I know about that. <laughs> I mean for that to be. <laughs> I want you to look at me. Alright? Keep your eyes on the Lord. That's the cure-all for everything. I mean, that is a great verse. Just keep focused. So first of all, in verse 1, we see that the time is now. Then Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. It's that, it's that time. It's getting to this time now. Pharaoh is at the height of his pride. And Israel is at their very lowest now. And that's when God works best, isn't it? When He gets them down to the very lowest point. And then boom, His glory is seen in majestic ways. Even more than those great fireworks that you see over the capital. <laughs> his glory is just so much more awesome, right? Those are pretty cool. Though, but it's time for the Lord to get things rolling. Time to get this thing happening. So when man is at his, his wit's end, you've identified with that, that's when God does his work. And he does that for salvation too. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They realize that they are nothing before this great holy God. And then that's when God does his thing with us. God uses this great opportunity now to bring on the salvation of, the, of Israel here. When man realizes that he's utterly hopeless, that's when God does His work. Now, He's always doing His work. But that's when we see Him doing that work. Now, look in Psalm 12, verse 5. And the psalmist here is saying something along that same lines. Uh, here is David saying man is, uh, has a, a treachery and God is constant and He is true. And look what He does. In Psalm 12, not Romans, for the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. I will set him in the safety for which he yearns. So the poor were oppressed, or the needy, and he says, hey, now I will arise. I'll set him in safety. Now the time has come. After all these years in bondage, God is going to do it now. So he mentions the strong hand. Come back to Exodus. 
And he's mentioned the strong hand of the Lord before. Um, He says, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. He is going to use his might and his power over Pharaoh to bring them out of that bondage. It's all God. God will deliver. God will accomplish what He wants to. He takes the work into His own hands, His powerful, mighty hands. The strong hand of His justice breaks those who would not bend. He's going to bend Pharaoh. He is truly going to do that. So now we see strong hand of the Lord. Now we see we start getting into the very person of God. You know, there His His um, mighty power, and now we see the person of God in that He names His name here. Verse two: God spoke to Moses and said to him, "I am." Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The Lord, capital letters, Yahweh, Jehovah. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but my name, Lord, I was not known to them. He begins telling Moses who he was. He's already said that before. I am that I am. And he's going to repeat it again, but this time he's going to make more emphasis be put on that. After this, he's going to tell him what he's going to do. Right now, he starts with the person of who he is. It's like God saying this, Remember who I am? Don't you think that I can do that? Remember who I am. Get your eyes back on me, Moses. And uh, does he not say that to us? Get your eyes back on me. This is the best counsel that one can possibly have. Get your eyes on the Lord. Know the Lord. Know Him. Look at Him. Keep looking at the Lord. He's the sovereign Lord of the universe. My goodness. Uh, The enemy doesn't have a chance against the sovereign God. He's always faithful and He's good. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's wise. He's loving. He is a just God and He never changes. So what He says is true. Go back to chapter 3, verse 14. Moses meets God. Didn't know he was going to meet God that day. And then finally God said to Moses, I am who I am. Now those letters are capital letters. Saying something with emphasis. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Again, he brings this out. We're familiar with this. That this is the very fountain of being. This is the foundation of it all. The I am. This is the one who has infinite perfection. This is um, the one who Moses can lean on for support. He's the self-existent one. He doesn't lean upon anybody. God is totally the foundation. And he wanted Moses to just lean on him. To lean on him. To lean on him too. He would now be known as Yahweh to Moses. You have to know this, Moses, that I'm Yahweh. Now, Abraham... And the fathers knew God. Moses knows God. But God is revealing Himself in a way that He hasn't quite revealed Himself before. He keeps revealing Himself all through the uh, Old Testament. He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. And that's El Shaddai. Now, He did name Himself as Jehovah Jireh at the 
the sacrifice where his son was going to be sacrificed, Isaac, and it turned out to be the ram caught in the thickets. But uh, he was known then as the one who would supply the needs. And uh, he was... God was showing a little bit who he was there. Uh, more than just a little bit. But he tends to build upon that. And so he has... Quite a few names in the Bible, doesn't he? Hundreds of names. You count all the names of Jesus and such. Just hundreds of names that, that mean something. Uh, but anyway, the Lord was known as uh, Yahweh Tzedkenu, which is mean the, the Lord our righteousness, or Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. You can go on and on with those names, and it just shows how great God is by uh, his names, his person, and he reveals how intimate he is now being known as Yahweh. This is this great covenant God. He's going to be intimate with the people. The people are going to be intimate with this deity, this God, the only God. They had never known this intimacy before. Especially, you know, these people who were slaves of Egypt. And they're going to see Him on a level that's incredible. This is a God that really cares. This is a God who commits. This is a God who is going to do what He says. And he's going to have control over nature all the way through in, in the plagues, for instance. So, they've never experienced a God like this. And he says, Moses, I am. I'm Yahweh. Now, it's not saying that God is giving a new name. We have seen this before. You even see it right in Genesis, uh, right after the creation. But God's name is now going to be fully more fully known, I guess you could say. The significance here is to be understood. It's a, it can be a salvation name. And it's more than just El Shaddai, the, the God Almighty. But one who delivers, He's sufficient, He's all-powerful, and He's going to have a relationship with these people. That's what His whole purpose is, that they would go out and worship Him, that they would know Him. To worship Him is to know Him. Focus is God uh, uh, brings us to Moses is that I want you to know who I am. Know me. Understand that this situation is based on the fact of who I am. Now he mentions the covenant, which we've seen before. I've also established my covenant with them. You remember Genesis 12. You remember Genesis 15. You remember Genesis 17. Just a few. Those were chapters dealing with God's covenant with Abraham. And then uh, he, he established that. He, whenever he makes a covenant, then he establishes it. It's solidified. They're as solid as truth can possibly be. When God says it, God means it, and he will do it. It's based upon his truth, not based upon our uh, thoughts of God, uh, our actions. It's based upon what he's going to do. He's the one who appeared to the ancestors, and he bound himself to them in that covenant. And God never forgot that. And we know that. And we say, well, that's obvious. But that's where the promises always go back there. Moses forgot that. And he had God talking right to him. If we're not sticking in the Word of God, we can forget those promises and immediately get stuck on the things around us and all of a sudden fear of whatever comes in. But uh, God is not only a covenant God, but He's a God who has compassion. 
Verse 5, I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I remember my covenant. So he comes back and says that again, I remember my covenant. He's compassionate. God is good. If evil comes, it's not because He arbitrarily does it, but it happens ultimately for the greater good. As our Reformed writers of the 15 1600s so often said, he, when things seem to be at odds against what we believe in as far as God is concerned, He's always working the greater good. Uh, it's not that He is the one who is the sinner and, and involved in that or making sin happen, but at the same time, it's a sinful fallen world. And uh, you have to think of the cross. Uh, there's a thing where he has to defeat evil, but evil has to happen to defeat the evil. Or you have evil men killing him. It's the best exhibit of it, isn't it? The cross. Keep your eyes on that cross. Everything is working according to plan here. It doesn't look like it is to Moses. And whenever it feels like God has abandoned us, just remember, cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Go back to Exodus 2, verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. He really does care. He was just waiting for the perfect time. And so God fully knows them. He knows they were in heavy adversity. And He feels for them in a compassionate way. He's a God who, in an anthropomorphic way, gets on our level and feels what we feel in that, in that sense. That's... Uh, I don't know how you explain that, but he definitely uh, has feelings like us. We were created in the image of God. We have emotions. God has emotions, but he never he never changes though. Too, it's a wonder, isn't it, about who God is? This should put Moses on another level as God tells him these things. Now these seem like basic things, and we've even covered these things before. But it's time to be reminded again, isn't it? Now, 6 through 8, back to our chapter 6. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I'm going to do this. This is the work of God. We've seen His person. Now we look at the I wills. And there's like seven of them here. I will. When God says, I will, I think it's something to take notice of. And regardless of what Moses is going to do, what Moses thinks, what he feels, I will. This is going to happen. Moses, by the way, you are going to be part of it. Whether you want to or not. Moses already expressed that he doesn't want to do it. He's given every excuse and every reason. I mean, he came up with some really good ones, I would think. They weren't good enough. And he's going to try to be thinking about those again. But God says, I will. Now, after reminding 
who he was, he now reminds, okay, these are absolute guarantees and there's going to be a victorious exodus right out of the nation of Egypt. And he says, I will bring. Starts off that. I will bring you up. Here is God bringing them out of their burdens. They have a tremendous burden on them. Physically, it is, I think, beyond what they can handle. They've gotten up to that point anyway. I don't think they can handle any more anyway. But they were consumed with what Pharaoh had done with them. Burdens were excessive, and that's all they could think about. The conditions are just ridiculous. God says, I'm going to take care of it. As far as we're concerned, today, before we, we came to Christ, we were burdened by our sin. Now, we may not have known we had a burden on us, but we were carrying a huge pack on us. It reminds me of Pilgrim's Progress. You remember when we went through that story and, and on, on the video, and there's even a new movie out, and it has this big old pack on uh, the Pilgrim Christian as he's going through his journey, and it seems to grow on him. It just gets bigger <laughs> as he walks down the street and through the woods. And that's the way it is. We, we, uh, before we come to Christ, we realize this tremendous burden. And we want it taken off. Only God can do that. He's the one that brought it to mind that we have this terrible burden. People are walking around with burdens all the time, all through life. If they don't know, if they're not Christians, if they don't know the Lord, do you know that you could actually almost envision some great big old burden on their back? I mean, sometimes they let you know about it. Other times you go, oh my, they're just lost. And they don't, they don't want to know the way right now, but they are so lost, they're so burdened, they don't even have an idea what they're carrying. This is, I've been there, I know what they're doing. Right? And God is good. He brings them to that kind of knowledge there. I will deliver is another one that He says there. Israelites were living a life of bondage. They had no freedom. God's going to set them free. Did they have any free will? I mean, as far as work is concerned, they couldn't. They were just in, held in bondage, weren't they? For us, He let us out of bondage. We were in um, in the depths of sin, didn't know it, and His truth set us free. He said, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free." And that's an easy image, I think, for us to understand being set free from bondage. I think God is giving us some pictures here. The next one I think is easy to pick up here. I will redeem. I will redeem. I'll bring you and I'll deliver you. Uh, I will redeem you. You remember the book of Ruth? Ruth and Boaz. And uh, there you have Boaz who is kin to... Um, Naomi, and here is an opportunity for him to carry out what God had set forth for somebody needs to take care of her. And and this is Ruth, uh, who was her daughter-in-law, Naomi's daughter-in-law. Ruth is going to be married to Boaz. And he takes her out of the situation, buys her, redeems her, 
in that way. It's a beautiful picture of the kinsman redeemer, which ultimately is Jesus Christ. He is our kinsman redeemer, isn't he? He is the one who became a human like us and then bought us out of that bondage. So the nearest relative redeemed Ruth by marrying her. I will redeem you. He did that on the behalf of her. She was in dire circumstances, very poor, and just living off of what she could take out of uh, as far as the, the fields were concerned. God would use His mighty power and His justice in doing this. Then he says, I will take. I will take you as my people, as it says in verse 7. I will take you. Uh, Here is marriage, I guess, extended on there. You you see the Redeemer, the kinsman Redeemer, and and marriage kind of goes together. He, He claimed them as his own people. You're mine. Israel's mine. He would make Israel as his bride. And throughout the Old Testament, you see Israel kind of in the picture as a bride. He is moving them to a new level of intimacy. I will take you as my own, my own possession. He wants them to know Him like they had never known before. Isn't that what it's about as Christians? Don't we want to know God more and more? There's so much to know about Him. There's too little time here on the earth to learn everything about Him. And eternity will give us all we need to know about Him and more. It'll never end. It gets more and more exciting as you know who He is. I mean, having a real relationship. Then He says, I will be. I will be. He would have a special relationship with them. It'd be on a personal basis. He'd become... Like when we become converted... We become the very possession of God. I mean, He he owns us in that sense. We acknowledge Him. We bow down to Him as Lord. Acknowledge that as such. Then He says, I'll bring you into the land of Canaan. I will bring. The land of Canaan would be the wedding gift as He would give the, the heritage there. Canaan was promised to the patriarchs and He's going to lead them into that land to take it over. And then He says, I will give. Canaan is going to be the possession. They'd be Yahweh's possession. Well, that's some of the I will statements. And verse 9 happens. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and of cruel bondage. After God has told him this, he goes to the people. People, the first time they heard him, and the elders who first heard him, and then the people, they got all excited, and they go, yes, yes. I mean, it's just like that. And Moses there, and man, they're confident, they're pumped up, and they pop right on into Pharaoh's throne and demand that he let them go. This time he goes to the people, and they say, "Uh, we're not falling for that trick. We know about that, Moses. This sounds too familiar. We don't want this. You know, I think there have been a lot of encouraging words. Moses comes back and says, Hey, I just talked to God again. And He told me the same thing He did before. 
and and he really cares for all of us. And uh, yeah, they're going to really hear this, right? Uh, Moses has been discredited by Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh's strategy has just been perfect. He's broken the will of the Israelites because they don't want to follow Moses. Moses had not helped their cause at all, made it worse. So they're consumed with their problems, and they're so cast down that they don't believe him. So we have unbelief here. They've just gotten the Word of God, and they do not believe. Present reality, the conditions that they're in, is ruling. They say, no. They're just totally discouraged. They're discontent. They're fretting and they're grumbling. They're not believing here. And when we do any of those things, what we do is deprive ourselves of the joy and the comfort of the Lord. You can either decide to go ahead and worry and forget about who God is and just get into your human set, or you can trust God and and rejoice in that. Rejoice in, in all that. So God gives it. Well, there's the first nine verses. We see God as the shining star, and then we see the unbelief at the end of it. Now, let's take 10 through 13. This is part two, and this is dealing with the Lord's commands. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. Does this sound familiar? Moses spoke before the Lord, saying... Children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Does Moses have a chance to get out of this? No. I command you, go. Go to Pharaoh right now. Oh, this sounds so familiar. This has been done before. The Lord tells him once more to go to Pharaoh. What is the Lord doing? I've been there. I already told him about this. Moses objects in verse 12. The people had not learned the lesson. They had not heeded Moses. Moses had reached the depth of discouragement. When the elders wouldn't listen to him, the people wouldn't listen to him, now he's in despair. (sighs) The feelings that he has. And here's a lesson for us. Don't pay attention to your feelings when you know what God is telling you to do. Here's what you feel like, but here's what you know is right. Which one are you going to take? Right? Which one are you going to choose on that issue? We need to leave it with Him. I know. This, this story, I, you know, if I were Moses, would I like to go back up there again and try this again? And the people now have turned me down. My, if they won't, <laughs> Pharaoh's going to laugh me out of this country. Matter of fact, he'll probably kill me. I wonder what he's thinking. Imagine Moses probably would have minded by that time. Yeah, go ahead and take me on out. <laughs> you know, I can't keep doing this. But have we ever been in some kind of same situations? Have we ever been there when it seems like, you know, this this just isn't working? Well, we'll look in Philippians 2.14. Do all things. Oh, 
without complaining and disputing. There's a command. That's a command. Do we do that? We don't complain, do we? No. We don't have any problem with that. The, the verse before that, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You know what he's saying there? God does the great work in you. Yeah, we might balk at it, we might delay it, but I will tell you this, when God is working in you and He wants to work work in you, what's He going to do anyway? We can slow it down, I guess you could say. It's going to be in His timing, but there's the human sense. He says in the next verse, okay, since He's going to do that, you might as well not complain and grumble and, and dispute, right? Why? That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Boy, does that verse ever hit for us today. My, you see the political realm and it all looks like a shambles. And it could be. But the thing is that everything's shaking around us and we're just standing on the rock. Solid as can be. And knowing that the thing is, here's the problem with the world. It's crooked. It's perverse. And we are shining as lights. Let's hope we're not little bitty candle lights where the flicker is barely seen. We're lights that should not only be flashlights, but should be floodlights all around where we're at. You know? We want to be blameless and harmless as we walk around this crooked and perverse generation. We cannot change the world by politics. And we do have uh, a voice in voting and, and uh, making calls and such. I don't discourage that. But don't put your trust in the government anyway because it's, sooner or later it's going to fall through. It will. They always will. They always have. They always will. Uh, at the same time, be a good citizen as we think about this time. Be thankful that the country that God has given us and yet at the same time know that it's going to fall and it's going to fall big. I just pray it's not in my lifetime. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is that I think that verse there in Philippians 2.14 kind of says it where it's at. Okay, don't be surprised when unbelievers do wicked and perverse things. They're crooked. And until God changes them, if He does, they're going to be that way and they're going to get worse. So what do you do? Be like a light. Stand on the rock. You have the truth. God's authority is sufficient to answer all objections. We have the truth. Moses has the truth. He can answer all those objections and he can bind us to obedience. We want to be bound to obedience without murmuring, right? Because he's going to do it anyway. Why waste the time of murmuring because it doesn't do any good. It doesn't give glory to him. Well, the command, God reiterates the, the orders here. His plan was going to be carried out. Look in Jeremiah chapter 1. And when you think of this thought, you can't help but think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a prophet. Jeremiah is going to be told by God to go to those wicked and perverse, crooked generations that he lived amongst and go tell them the truth of God. Verse 5, God says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, 
Behold, I cannot speak. I'm a youth. (laughs) I don't know anything. (laughs) Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go. This is the Lord coming back. To all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. He's going to put words in his mouth. And he's going to go and say what God wants him to say. Oh, that's really hard. God is so faithful. He who began a good work in you is faithful to bring that about, right? Uh, that was my own translation, which falls short, but we must go to another translation and read it better. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until he comes back. He's going to complete that work. He's going to keep on doing his work. Okay. Now go back to Exodus chapter 6. What we're going to do here is something we don't normally do, but we're going to take just take this chunk and tell you what's going on here. This is a genealogy. We could take time to study this genealogy, but I'll give it very briefly from 14 to 27. And this is why I said we were going to move into chapter 7 this week. <laughs> Genealogies are not boring, by the way. They are very... Uh, informative and very truthful. So don't skip over genealogies because you'll see people in there and their names. They always mean something, how God is doing it. All of a sudden now, right in the middle of this, we have this genealogy. So what is God doing here? Well, God is providentially working His plan out. It's seen here. It definitely features the identity of Levi's family. And that's the family of Aaron. Aaron is going to play a key role in this with Moses. He's going to be the spokesman. Uh, By the way, in verse 26 of chapter 6, these are the same Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the children of Israel, Aaron and Moses. Um, what, What we have is that Moses is going to be later named as the Levitical head of the Levitical priesthood. The priesthood is going to be out of the tribe of Levi. Moses is going to be leading the nation kind of like the king, but the priest is going to be like Aaron. Uh, This is not a whole genealogy from 14 to 27 of uh, the patriarchal period all the way up to this time, but it it starts at the patriarchal period, uh, the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. ends with the grandson of Aaron. The grandson of Aaron. So it takes it up to present time there. And it just takes a broad historical perspective. It's like taking a brush and going from here to there. Giving you the emphasis that Aaron is established as a worthy partner here in delivering Israel. And uh, these priests playing their part. By the end of the genealogy, Aaron's pedigree has been established. By the time you get through verse 27. He says the last sentence, these are the same, Moses and Aaron, as they're giving the power to bring it out. We've already seen that Aaron's going to play in that because Moses didn't want to speak and then Aaron's going to come in and do that part. Now we go to uh, part 4. The Lord encourages His servants right at the end of 6, verse 28, 29, and 30. 
And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Speak to him. Tell him this. Whatever he told you. But Moses said before the Lord, here we go again, Behold, uh, I'm, a, I'm of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? <laughs> again, again, again. The charge is brought there. Uh, it picks up where it left off in verse 13, where God gave the charge. Now we see it again here in 28, 29. Uh, Moses then complains. Verse 30, objects. The game plan has not changed. It's exactly the way it has been. The God of Israel is in control. And then we see the same tiring complaint found in chapter 4, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor you, since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Chapter 6, verse 12, which we've seen today. Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am a man, I am of uncircumcised lips. I've been said before, I don't have, I cannot speak right. I have a, a speech impediment. Moses is making excuses again. He has been rejected by the people again, at this time now, so in his humanness. I think he really wants to give up. You ever wanted to give up? <laughs> Just stop. You know, stop this world and let me get off. Wasn't there a song like Okay. Moses saying, I'm in the right line. Moses was in that genealogy too. You know, I'm in the right line as far as the genealogy is concerned. I know. But I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I, I'm, I'm, I, this is not going to work. I can't do it. So we move into chapter 7. This is why we have to go into chapter 7. So the Lord said to Moses, here's Yahweh, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Do you know, God could have just knocked him down, blew him up against the wall, <laughs> spun him around a little bit, you know, gotten a little bit really mad and angry at him. And you don't even see this. God is so patient, so kind, so good. See, I've made you as God to Pharaoh. It's going to be, you're going to be like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. Look at it that way. You shall speak all that I command you. All right? And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Get it, Moses? They don't want to be brought out, but you're going to lead them out. Pharaoh sure doesn't want them out of here. And we're going to make sure that everybody knows that he doesn't want to let them go. That's what the plan is, and that's what we're going to do. So the real focus in these verses, it's not Moses. Who is it? Yahweh. Yeah. 
God is going to make Moses a representative of God. See, I've made you as God to Pharaoh. I'm going to speak through you. Um, Just magistrates at that time were considered to be called gods. Little g, G G-O-D-S, right over And that's the way that they saw him. He was authorized to act in God's name saying the very things that God was saying. He was given power, I think, also beyond the natural here. We're going into the supernatural realm when He does some of these signs and wonders, and there will be no doubt that this source of power is not coming from Moses, but it's coming from Yahweh. You're going to be as God to Pharaoh. What does Pharaoh consider himself? God. It's God against God as far as Pharaoh wants to do is try to defeat the enemy. And as far as he's concerned, he's already done it. You know, <laughs> oh, they don't have a chance. How ridiculous to even come up here and do that. Um, Moses is going to have an assistant. That's Aaron. Aaron's going to be a prophet. God made provisions for the speech problems. <laughs> okay, okay, Moses. Man, I'll tell you what. God has really been really patient. Can you think of how many times Moses has said no and just made up excuse after excuse and he's still doing it and God doesn't give up? Why would he give up? He's going to do it. He's going to do it. That's what he does in our lives. I'm telling you, every one of us here have gotten to a point probably saying, I'm just going to give up. You might think that for a few moments until you get your senses. Maybe a few seconds, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few hours, maybe a few days. I hope it's not months. I've seen people go months, Christians, and sometimes years, to be honest with you. But I will tell you, if they are the Lord's, He will put them right back in the path. And by the way, Hebrews 12 says He chastises those who are His. So He'll uh, do a little spank on them if He has to. And He does that. It's a good thing because He loves them. He loves them so much that He wants to make sure things are right. And they will go right after it's all said and done. Even though it doesn't look like it. So, God says, I want you to get this. Um, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Have we seen this before? I will. There's His action way back in chapter... Four, five, four. He said this when he first uh, went to Moses. Verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I put in your hand. Uh, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, in all fairness, if you're an unbeliever, your heart is already hardened. You're an unbelief. Wicked, depraved, evil, you know. But God is going to come in and harden it even more. And that will show the power of God to do that. What God does is He twists the heart of Pharaoh. And it starts off with this. We know we have the passive sense and we know the part where Pharaoh hardens his own heart. But we've seen it now here for the second time where God starts off with, I'm going to harden. I'm going to do this. I will harden who I harden. 
I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And here we have that great sovereign God that we think of in Romans 9. Had to get Romans in somehow, didn't we? (laughs) Makes you think of that Romans 9, doesn't it? Because he uses that. He's going to squeeze out what was in it. God forced him to do the things that he already wanted to do. He wanted to be against God. That's the natural heart. So, God makes it even worse. He's going to bring Pharaoh into court and make him admit how he feels. I mean, Pharaoh is going to bring it out how he really is by especially these ten plagues. It showed what was really in his heart. See, unbelievers can really make themselves look good and very deceptive. Matter of fact, they can call themselves Christians and go to church and even read the Bible. But they have a hard heart, but it doesn't show. It looks good. You don't know what they really are until God hardens that person. And then you see what they really are and they expose their sinfulness. That's what God is doing here with Pharaoh. That's what He does with uh, unbelievers. It showed what was in the heart. All sooner or later are going to be seen who they really are. That's why sinners get worse. It's God who fights the battle. And that's what He's going to do here uh, when He talks about the armies. He is to get all the glory. That's what this is all about. He wants to get it to the point where it's not halfway and people say, Yeah, but you know, yeah, but you know, the Moses was a great leader and you know, he talked the people into going on out of there and he talked to you know no 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 everybody the whole world knows how evil and wicked Pharaoh and Egypt is. And God is going to fight this battle, he's going to get the glory. It's not about Moses. Moses is not going to get the glory. For all of this that we're looking at is to put on a great display of God's character and His nature. His very being of who He is. That is what is being put forth on display. That's what all this is about. That's why God is doing this. It says in verse 5, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them, Egypt, as wicked as they are, they're going to know the I Am has been here. They're going to know who that God was. Boy, is that great glory. Okay, we finish this out. You ready? Verse 6 and 7. Then Moses and Aaron did so. <laughs> Don't you like that? I have to wonder, you know, as this was being written, you know who wrote this, don't you? Moses wrote this. (laughs) That Moses and Aaron did so. Just as the Lord commanded them. That's all you have to do, just be obedient. So they did. (laughs) He says it again. They did so, and so they did. And Moses, by the way, was... I want you to get this, was 80 years old and Aaron, 83 years old, his older brother, when they spoke to Pharaoh. God saying, or Moses saying, God can do anything at any time. And so he worked this tremendous thing. In the end, 
This is what matters. Obedience. God gets the glory. Now, the stage is set for this tremendous drama that is ready to unfold. And we have to stop right here. Unless you want to go all day. (laughs) Let's pray. Then we'll have communion.